With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and tricenarian, Nathan Lee Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hi, Windy. Are you feeling, are you feeling aged? <laughs> Very. <laughs> so uh, when I hit 30, Nathan, I noticed yeah. almost immediately that things started to go wrong with my body, but you've unfortunately <laughs> been suffering from that for like the last five got, years. Yeah. So. Got, got a few years on that already, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, so God knows what you've got in store. Well, I did, I did essentially go bald <laughs> a few weeks early as well. <laughs> but, Ni- yeah. Nicely done. You timed it all perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it. Definitely feeling it. But you had a nice birthday. Yeah. Glad to hear yeah, it. My, my girlfriend took very good care of distracting me from the existential dread of turning 30 by distracting me with, with nice things and such. That is the way to do it, for sure. Uh, on Patreon this week, Nathan has um, has released a cheat code, how to beat Conte. This was last week, we didn't talk about it. Um, have you seen it now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I really enjoyed <laughs> okay. it. Okay. So yeah, that, that that one definitely has to stay behind the paywall, obviously, in case, you know, word gets out. Um, Don't say too much. Okay, all right. I won't, I won't, I won't say. I mean, the thing, one thing I, I said at the end is that I accused on the podcast, um, sort of the majority of teams of not trying to implement these ideas. And I think that we saw sort of steps towards those ideas from both Palace and Southampton. And we looked Definitely. at those in the video, but like, um, it's hard. It's and really what, hard and to Watford, do it. we saw, we saw Watford do some of the things. Well, as Watford well. did the other thing, yeah. which is sort of the default help. <laughs> this team are much better than us thing. And I don't know. I, I just, I don't think that's going to work most of the time, um, which is what we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another video coming up uh, that's going to be sort of closer to a slideshow and as a result will be hopefully on YouTube or at least in some other manner free for everyone to watch on the topic of inverted wingbacks. Ah, oh, that's so good because I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> Lovely <laughs> stuff. Uh, and there was another video actually this week, which um, which took a new format, didn't it? You did a you did a live piece of analysis. Oh yeah, with the I, didn't even... <laughs> I forgot to write it in the the running order. Yeah, yeah, bloody hell, we did a Gendarme Traore um, uh, analysis live with Discords, and, and I've got a, uh, next time what I didn't do next time because I've, I'm trying to sort of. Um, Trying to sort of capture the energy of Twitch, right? Next time I'm going to include in the video um, sort of uh, a screen of the live chat so you can see what people are responding in text form uh, for those who are watching it back after after the fact. Um, yes, we we developed and matured our feelings about Adama Traore and largely I think everyone landed back where they were when they started and haven't changed their minds, but they now feel how they feel Um more confidently so that's nice yes so what nathan did was show a bunch of clips of adama and emerson royale um and talk through them in some detail and we had a live chat text feed alongside this in the discord uh where people could ask questions make comments um laugh hysterically and maniacally at adama Mm -hmm. trio nearly breaking the crossbar in one particular instance and it was lots of fun. It was a it was an hour well spent, and then that has now been put up on the Patreon as well as a sort of standalone piece of analysis, which I think works very well too. Good stuff. And Bardi, Bardi's book club is back. Yeah, I, 
I wanted to um, wanted to read something a little bit different, and I'm not sure if people out there follow or they don't. They should. Alfie Potts Harmer. We've we've met him before, Wendy. He's a um, fantastic writer of football history, and he's written a book on England's greatest defender, the untold story of Neil Franklin. Like I had no idea who Neil Franklin was, but he's one of the famous Bogota bandits. So in the 1950s, um, Colombia opened their doors in a kind of like Indian Premier League way, threw a load of money at players, and a load of people from Europe went to a load of English players went to Colombia to start playing football. And amongst that was somebody like the top Argentinians, and Di Stefano went there as well. And it was just a, a story that interests me, so I've started reading that now. And um, yeah, it's, it's really well written, and hopefully we'll get Alfie Potts on Alfie Potts Hammer on the Bardi's Book Club, and we can have a little chat about it in a little bit more detail. Sounds awesome. Mm. Nice work, Bardi. Um, I mean, I haven't got much to to offer, have I? You two are out there creating content. What have I done? Oh, I made a I made a video about Lucas about ten okay. days ago, which I thought was I thought was pretty good. Um, yeah, so I am doing something. That's good. I wanted to give a shout out to um, Steve Jennings and his new fanzine, which is um, called 1882, an independent Spurs fanzine. It's really, really good. It's um, it's pocket size. It's uh, it's the print's nice and easy to read. It features the first uh, first um, volume called Cult Heroes features writers such as Raj Baines, Alistair Gold, Dan Kilpatrick, Spooky, Judy Welsh. It's great stuff. Really, really nice. I would definitely recommend having a look. It is um, available online at 1882, the numbers 1882fanzine.com. Have a look. Consider, consider buying it. I think there'll be many more to come. Steve's done a lovely job with it. Um, he asked me to, to to write for it as well, but I didn't really have a cult hero that came to mind for, for this one. But I'm I'm sure I'll uh, I'll be very happy to write pieces for it in future. I, it's a it's a lovely piece of work. It's, it feels really classy. Well done, Steve. Great job. I suppose we better get better get stuck into Morecambe. Really, we've been putting it off, haven't we? <laughs> um, let's start where we always start with the team selection. Oh my god, I hated it so much, Nathan. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> I did manage to catch the game live, so I I, I discovered the team post match, <laughs> and so the, I I I went on to um I went on to whoscored.com that generally does a pretty decent job with the formation, and the first thing I saw was that Ndombele had a six point <laughs> performance according to who scored, and the Celso had an eight point seven, and I saw that it was Delhi and Hill up top, which I thought was um strange, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm surprised that Windy didn't like the starting formation. It had all your favourites in there. We were happy to see Sessignon. We were happy to see Roden. No, we were happy to see Hill, Delhi, Lacelso, and Dombele. You know, all your all the greatest tracks were there. It had the potential for being a really interesting game and a chance for these players to really stamp a mark and assert themselves. So, yeah, I, I was kind of happy to see that formation. And uh, the ex-subs I spoke to in in Beavertown before the start of the game, they they all seemed pretty confident as well. It's funny, isn't it? Because it involved a lot of players that I've been very keen to see get a chance under mm. Conte. It involved, Too many, if anything. It, it involved <laughs> the formation that I wanted Conte to move towards. Uh, but but yeah, I was unhappy with both of those things um, because, because, as I've said many times in this podcast, I just fundamentally disagree with this A team and B team philosophy. I just don't think it's helpful to anyone. I think if you have a bunch of players who have no confidence, rhythm, sharpness... Um, knowledge of what it's like to actually play together in the same team, and uh, you, you dump them out on the pitch at the same time and hope for the best. You 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 might get lucky, but most of the time you're not going to get lucky. We we played terribly against Mura, having done the same thing. Uh, I, I didn't think that was a major factor in this game, to be honest. I didn't I didn't get that feeling. I mean, mainly because Morgan dropped all the way off to the box, so that like the cohesion was really just the final attempting the final pass over and over and over again. Um, so I mean, maybe maybe that played a role, but I didn't feel like. It didn't feel anything like like the mirror performance or, or other similar sort of B team performances. It didn't feel hugely disjointed. I thought the first half was very disjointed, to be honest. Second half, might, I mean, and this kind of in some ways proves my point. But by the time the second half came around, there was a bit more cohesion because they were sort of getting to know one another and where they were going to be. First half, I did not get that at all. Like I just felt no one knew what their role was in the team, to be honest. Especially Heel and Delhi, they both tried really hard. I thought like. You could tell they were both absolutely putting their all in, but did not know how to play the the roles they were being asked to play. That's not a good role for Hill, is it? I don't, awful, I don't like. really awful. Like he doesn't get any of his his best qualities out there. Um, 
yeah, not good. Bardi, go on. Yeah, so for this game, I normally sit up in the gods, but for this game, I, I moved my seat and, and went really close to the close to the pitch. And it, How come? It was interesting. Pardon? How come? Just for change? Yeah, just for change. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, I'd like to sit in that area anyway, in the corner, a little bit elevated, so you can kind of get an idea and not just be too... I feel Sometimes I feel too detached up right mm. at the top. Um, but there was... I was able to look into the eyes of some of our players on occasion, and there was confusion most of the time across Roden's face. I know he has a confusing look as a <laughs> human being anyway, but he looked confused. Him and Tanganga looked... They looked surprised and shocked on occasion. I think Tanganga had a wobbly start to the game and he was never really able to find his, his rhythm out of it. He remains a, an impressive tackler and an impressive one-on-one defender, which, which, which we know. But there was um, levels of concern etched across his Rodens and Doherty's face when they had to form little triangles. And I, we've wanted to see Roden for quite some time and I just don't think he's got it. And I think this is the reason why he keeps being um, skipped by, um, by most of our managers. I just don't think he's capable to play that central role. And I, I just technically, I just don't think he's there. Gallini didn't help him. He, he's, he's bad. But I, I had a chat with someone at half time who was going in on Gallini. And I, I don't mind going in on Gallini as well. But it was almost he was the, at fault for losing 1-0, which I thought was a bit of a ridiculous situation. But there was concern in, in our, most of our defenders' face throughout that game. For the goal uh, that we conceded, I because again I was watching it back after the fact, I sort of rewound it and rewatched it a couple of times to see what happened. And I, mm. I remember at the time I was noticing, okay, the ball has gone over Delhi, he's misread the flight of the ball there, and then I think it's Tanganga at the far post has allowed his man to drift off him. The commentator at the time was banging on about communication, which was completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But I remember like going, okay, right, I see, I see what right, it's the man marking there, and then the zonal marker hasn't hasn't blocked the high ball, and then Tanganga's lost his man. And I remember like. Like a few minutes later, continuing to watch the game, I was like, oh, I didn't even consider the possibility that Galini could have done anything. <laughs> I assume when Galini's in net, if we have a shot on target, it is there for a goal. Not, not just that, Nathan, but the, the move leading up to the award of the corner mm. came about because Galini didn't come off his line quick enough and Roden was like turning around expecting him to be there and he wasn't there. And then Roden literally like put his arms out as if to say... Mm. What the hell, man? Like, wh- this is this is bread and butter. Because come and collect this ball, and we don't have to worry about ha- facing a corner against um, a highly pumped up <laughs> underdog team who desperately want a scalp. And yeah, it was shocking from Tanganga, who has had a really, really bad week. I mean, his stock has fallen significantly in the mm. last week. Bless him. I actually felt embarrassed for him because that was such a poor piece of marking. Uh, but basically what happened was he was watching the man, watching the man, watching the man, turned to look at the ball. Suddenly the man's gone. Oh, God. You know, you you have to position your body where you can see both man and ball. You can't have one or the other. You have to be able to see both. It was just such basic, such a basic fundamental error. Um, but frankly, to you know, like you say, to have that much space in the six-yard box, Galini's got to come and take that. He just has to come and deal with it. Um, yeah, he's awful. Galini's awful. I don't blame the defenders for being a little bit tentative with him behind them. And yet, I kind of agree with Bardi that there were lots of issues in that defence yeah. in terms of the way we were moving the ball. Roden definitely got better in the second half. In fact, I watched all of his um, passes back earlier because I was like, how bad was he? I didn't think he was terrible. but And yeah, first half, really tentative. Some sort of nervous looking passes. Didn't quite know. I think he just didn't quite understand the role. And then definitely grew into the game a little bit more. Was he heavily critiqued? Roden? Quite heavily critiqued. Yeah. Okay. And I think that their number nine pretty much just dropped off in the second half. He, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. You could see that he's he, he's not built as a footballer. Their number <laughs> nine. He he looked league two to be generous to him, but he did give Roden some trouble in that first twenty twenty five minutes. Definitely, definitely. And um, I don't mean to just shit on him constantly, but Matt Doherty. Oh my goodness, <sighs> I actually thought he looked okay in a couple of cameos recently, but again, this is just it's he's just so poor. Uh, I just don't think he's a very good footballer in all honesty. No. He was so bad. And there are reasons. Of course there are reasons. There's there's rhythm, there's continuity, there's a lack of confidence. There's the fact that he's probably had, what, three managers, four managers in his short time at Spurs. He's had COVID. There are loads of reasons, but he's getting the basics wrong time and time again and making life difficult for his teammates as well. And it was not good from Matt Doherty either. Really, really, really not good. Um... 
And look, I, I predicted uh, before the match, I said in the Discord, someone was saying, like, Windy, what do you think is going to happen? Are we going to hammer them? Because I've been saying every match recently, we're going to batter them. It's fine. Don't worry. And this game, I said, I think it'll be nil-nil at halftime, and I think we'll win 2 nil overall. Uh, obviously, we were losing at halftime, but I kind of expected a difficult start, particularly once I saw the, the team. I, I expected this to be a tough match with a team just like defending all half and making it difficult for us to find space. And we had no striker on the pitch or no, we did have a striker on the pitch with two, but neither of them have played striker before. So I, I expected it to be challenging and it was challenging. But when you're losing 1-0, it just creates an environment that feels anxious and frustrated and you know the crowd was starting to make groaning noises after about 10 minutes they grew into booze after about 20 minutes there were booze at half time it was just getting pretty toxic pretty quickly and I honestly feel that Conte could have avoided that by picking a couple like even just two or three more regulars to give a bit of stability like Liverpool played a really youthful team against Shrewsbury but amongst that youthful team they played Virgil van Dijk Canate, Fabinho, Andy Robertson. You know, it's a really solid base of three of their their first choice back four and the holding midfielder that does such a good job of protecting them. And that then gives a platform for those younger players to go out and perform. I, I, I completely agree with that in principle. I just think the only thing we missed in this match was Kane. And obviously we're always calling for Kane to be sure, rested sure. when necessary. I mean, it shows the necessity of us having a backup striker. Absolutely. But I think given the squad that we actually have, it was, <clears throat> it's very hard <laughs> to like, I don't know, approach that match one way or the other because we desperately needed like a, a centre forward presence, or an aerial threat, someone with hold up play, someone who can play back to goal. All of that is difficult for both Delhi and Hill. I mean, Delhi, you know, his movement is based on an existing threat, right? Mm. It's being the secondary, it's being either the decoy or using someone else's decoy and mm. he can't he can't do that with Hill. Um so he was just sort of yeah trying to hopefully get on the end of crosses or game that mm. that mm. you know is isn't best for his game. Um so yeah I, I I take your principle in terms of the A team B team kind of thing but I think in this game we missed Kane <laughs> and it's probably for the best that we missed Kane, you know? So that, I mean I I think, I think I think Wendy you're you're misjudging the, the Liverpool situation and our situation. Liverpool played children with a couple of first team players. We played international players across the park. There was pure international class, if you want to use that word on that on that pitch. And I think honestly, I think a few of them need to to have a think about what they're doing as footballers at Tottenham because Lacelso he he tried pretty well. He tried hard. He put the effort in and if things weren't working for him. But there's an issue there with Doherty, there's an issue there with Delhi. He'll got to a point where he looked panicked and he was anxious and I haven't seen a footballer look that anxious to try and do something since like Lewis Holtby days where he everything Mm. every time he got the ball he wanted to do something to get the fans back on side and in the end the only thing he managed to do to get us on side was sprint off the pitch fast it was an unfortunate performance for him but I don't hold that against him but there are question marks now around Doherty we know Ndombele and La Celso and Delhi. they you can't I don't. We can't palm this off because Delhi he played as a number nine against League One. We needed to see more from him, and we didn't see that. And we'll get into Ndombele later, but there's there's massive question marks now. I I must say I fundamentally disagree on the Chelsea's performance. I thought he played really well. Honestly, yeah. I thought he played well. I've watched back um, because because I, I tweeted about this from the Extrinch last night and and got. Mostly people were agreeing, but then there was some very strong pushback, which you always get with the Chelsea discourse yeah. because people hate him because he's because he costs so much basically, and he's injured a lot. Um, and I so I've watched back, and he played some good stuff. He was like really forward thinking, really tenacious in the tackle. He won the ball back four times, like tra- tackling back and then getting us on the front foot again. Um, he took excellent corners, like really dangerous flat low corners which caused chaos a couple of times um, and created shooting opportunities and I I think he's the one that's going to take Son's place my gut feel is that he's the one that will fill in for Son and him being on set pieces could actually lead to some set piece goals over the next month I think which would be super helpful the problem with Lascelles is you're correct when you look at isolation of Lascelles playing football he does some really good stuff and today I'm out of the stadium, a bit more relaxed. I'm going to say that he played probably better than than I thought and most of the people in the stadium thought. But there's those moments, those key moments where he gets the ball in an advanced position and his final shot, I'm not asking for a goal, but his final shot is sometimes is pathetic. They were poor shots, yeah. Were, and that, that's the problem, that there's this expectation 
upon him because of the price tag, because of his reputation and the fact he's an international player, that when he arrives in those situations, we expect more. And because he does all those small stuff really well, miles better than Ndombele, but when he arrives in this point, he normally fluffs his line. That's where the frustration and the anger comes from. It's just like, why can't you do that better? And it was something we used to throw at Ericsson a lot, but then Ericsson would always, you know, it was just a corner. He would del- cons- consistently deliver. We're not seeing that from the Celso, and I think that's that's where the anger comes from. It, Plus, um, he falls over a lot. Yeah, he does spend a lot of time on the ground. That's true. He's um, he he likes a bit of gamesmanship for sure. Uh, his shooting is not good. That's it can definitely be improved, and I think his shooting will probably improve the more he plays because he, I don't think his shooting was historically a problem. It's just that it's been poor for Spurs. Um, let's get into what happened when the substitutions were made, and I'd like Bardi to tell it from you know being a, a fan inside the stadium's perspective. So you could see that there's substitutions coming, and your mind obviously starts thinking who who's going who's going to come off. And um, I very rarely look at the the number as it goes off. I wait to see where the players move. And Endobele's number came up, and the, the announcer said Endobele, and he started moving towards the exit. And from where I was, there was no boos when his name went up, and they said Endobele's coming off. They people didn't boo him. It was a then a reaction of he stopped. He took off his wristbands or something, and then he started strolling. And it was a intense. It started to intensify. The longer he took to get off the pitch, the more the booing happened. And I'm not one to boo, but I was really frustrated by that. I got really upset by it. It's not. It's not in my nature to do that. And I thought it was one of the most disrespectful things I've seen in a long time, especially from someone that good. And. <sighs> I, I do think that's his time done at Tottenham now. I don't think he'll ever win the the the, the kind of the, the fans that go in that go to the ground go to the ground. I don't think he'll ever win them back over. And it was it was an embarrassing moment. And I, I'm sure when he looks back in his career, he'll he'll feel bad about what he did there. His overall performance was poor, but that sloping off the pitch, that slow kind of dragging his feet, that was horrendous. But we didn't boo him when his name, when his number or his name was said. It seemed that way from the broadcast. It seemed that his name was read out and there were immediate boos. And then he walked slowly, perhaps as a response. And then the boos really picked up. I do think it. I do think it matters somewhat which way round things came. But, but either way, even if he's booed first and that's his response, it's it's really it's really disappointing. It's mm-hmm. um yeah. Uh, I mean, like I I um. I'm very sympathetic now to people who are frustrated with Ndombele, to be honest. I I still th- I still think that like um I look at his performance and I see a player who is like struggling to adapt to to very specific instructions. Or seeing a player who's sort of dithering more than he ever has done, who's not playing instinctively, having always played instinctively. Uh, I think to to Ericsson's time at Inter, I think to Fabregas under Conte. Um and I also think that like uh, if if Conte and Ndombele arrived in the same summer and this was a performance he put up, you know, there'd be a lot more patience. It would be fine. We'd be looking forward. We'd be explaining like um, that he's he's adapt. He's an individualistic player and he's adapting to a more systemic style of play and all these kinds of things. We'd be giving him time. But with it being like you know two years of predominantly failure from him at this stage. I'm very sympathetic to everyone who's given up and I understand the club giving up and I understand him giving up. And uh, yeah, I, I'm i so frustrated with him walking off slowly like that. I mean, I think in practice it didn't matter because there were three players coming off and Hill was off last or whatever. It doesn't, you know, and then Kane was allowed on. But he, you know, he put himself in a situation where Tanganga and Kane are telling him to hurry up. Mm. You know, there's um, there's there's a point as as football fans, there is it's this whole kind of I'm gonna sound like real proper proper your dad now. <laughs> this is sometimes what I end up sounding like on this on this podcast. But there is there are football players who are rubbish, and there are football players who are great. But sometimes we can forgive the rubbish players with at, at least a semblance of of giving a shit and really caring and, and trying their best and. I said, I said yesterday, sometimes there's, I said in the Discord, there's sometimes there's like a, a dog that has three legs and it runs around the park and it falls over, but it's trying its best. Doherty is a bad footballer, but he does try his best. Ndombele is a fantastic footballer who we've seen some incredible things from, but it's an, at, it's an attitude like that. And it's just, I don't care what your opinion is of me. I'm going to go off the pitch at my own, own pace. That really causes a frustration and really upsets everybody. Had he just jogged off, had, had he just jogged off normally, it would have been a disappointing performance from Ndombele. But because 
because of that attitude of just, I'm going to rebel against your opinion of me, it becomes a, a situation that I'm not sure if he comes back from, which is, yeah. yeah. I, I think the, the, the belief that he's lazy on the pitch is, is untrue, is unfair, yes. but he really just doesn't help his case at all when he meanders off the pitch in process. And look, I understand that, like, I have some sympathy for him in that, like, you know, it's, it's difficult to be in that scenario and that sort of an acting out to, to what he would consider unfair treatment or anything like that, but. But fans are going to perceive what you do, right? What you do matters. <laughs> so, so I I've given up on him at this stage, to be honest. I mean, I think we're going to have a hard time trying to find a seller or a swap or anything like that. So maybe he ends up kicking around for a while longer. But um, I'm not I'm not fighting this case anymore after that. I don't think. I think fundamentally, I'm in the same position as Nathan, and it has been um, has been quite difficult to. I mean, I find the the, the Ndombele discourse difficult generally for a whole bunch of reasons that it's not really right to probably get into at this point because, sure. like, what's the what's it going to achieve? I would say this isn't to defend him; it's to try and explain what happened from another perspective because I I, I don't think there was a defence for it. Like, whatever happened, whatever he was feeling, just get off the pitch, man. Just yeah. you know, right even if even if it doesn't make a single bit of difference. It's about perception. Mm. It's about like what the fans think are happening. And like Bardi says, if if your teammates are having to come up to you and tell you to hurry up getting off, just get off. And he, he was over the far side of the pitch. So he could have walked off on the opposite side anyway and, and trudged around. But I'm, uh, I'm guessing he didn't want to do that because he was already being booed. In my in my view, he was already being booed, Bardi. I, I, I know it's difficult because you were in one area and you, didn't, you could only hear what's around you. On the broadcast, the boo started the second the number went up. Um, other people in the dis- in the Discord have said that they heard boos like before he even started walking off as well. It certainly came across that way. And like, if you've been subject to a lot of moans and groans, like, and twice in the first half alone, he got the ball in the edge of the box, and people were shouting "shoot" at him. And it's like, come on, man! Like, this is just silly. And you're not going to have a you can't have a go at him for not shooting from the edge of the box when there's three defenders in front of you. But whatever you're not going to trudge off around the whole <laughs> side of the pitch when you've got fans booing at you. So fair enough for yeah. him to take, like walk across the, the tunnel. I thought he was just pissed off at his situation and his performance. I, I thought he was probably in his own head and feeling sorry for himself, but that's no excuse. We still, you know, he's had a shit time at Spurs. Let's be honest. He's had a shit time at Spurs. We've had a shit time in the time that he's been at Spurs. It's been horrific. And his manager last week was asked the question about what his position was and went, he's a midfielder, I guess. He's just a midfielder, you know. It's not going to feel great. So I think there are reasons why he's feeling a bit sorry for himself. But as I said, perception-wise, it was completely unacceptable to to slope off in that way. I was annoyed of our fans for booing because I thought it was pretty uncharitable and unhelpful. And I just don't see how that makes the situation. So I guess, I guess the purpose is it's like, you're making me really angry. So I'm going to boo at you. And I want to make a statement about how angry I am. So the club get rid of you. And I don't have to see you amble around on the pitch again. Right. And I get it. But as Nathan says, (laughs) we're struggling to find takers as it is. We're going to end up with a player who's got what, two and a half years left in his contract? Is it three and a half years left in his contract, I think? He's just going to decline in value. This is basically what we thought was happening with Granite Xhaka at Arsenal. Like, a rift occurs between the players, the player and the fans that seems insurmountable. And, and maybe like Xhaka, it won't be. Maybe there'll be a renaissance and everything will be fine. I think not. I think that's unlikely. And I think we'll have to take a hit for for, for Undomble at some point. Whether it, whether the fans have forced that to happen sooner sooner than it would have done, I don't know. The whole situation made me feel deeply uncomfortable, if I'm completely honest. It felt very toxic. Um, well, it was toxic. It was. It was a lot of anger and frustration. We were losing 1-0, being directed at one individual who probably wasn't at, he wasn't at fault for this. I'd like Gallini wasn't at fault for it. It's not down to one individual. There's a collective issue here of a group of players not being able to perform properly. And it was, unfo- I, it was unfortunate that it was aimed at Ndombele, but he, he is a £50 million player. And with that comes expectations. And as a, as a crowd, we're not going to sit there and think, actually, if we boo him, his price is going to go down. It's going to be a in-the-moment yeah. reaction. Visceral. And in, yeah. the moment, in the moment, the reaction was, you've not been good enough. Please move on. And if it started at the same time his number his number came up, then it did. I didn't hear it, but it was then a reaction of you've not been good enough. Get off the pitch. Now please hurry up I, off the pitch. I think it was deeper yeah. than that. I think it was deeper than that. I think it was you've not been good enough today and you've not been good enough for the whole time you've been at the club. Like yep. a lot of people do feel that like whether or not we agree is is 
irrelevant. A lot of fans do feel that. I mean, it's it's absolutely the um, pervading opinion on social media that people don't think that Ndombele has been very good for Spurs. And so there's a lot of sort of pent-up frustration there that was waiting to come out. And it was really uncomfortable to see it come out in that way. Um, and I think the reason I find it so uncomfortable is that players don't have a right of reply in a way. Their, their only right of reply is what happens on the pitch. And I don't think he... I think he's been set up to fail, basically, at Spurs so far. And I, and I, I get it as well that there are times when Ndombele could definitely have done more to help himself. Undoubtedly, like... Clearly, there have been games where he's just not been... His head has not been in the right place. He's not played in the way that we know he can. But I do feel that this is a timing issue, like Nathan said. And if... I don't know. it's Everything's happened at the wrong time for a whole bunch of players. And it's just... It's sad to see it end this way or potentially end this way. Um, that said, I, I for the sake of... For the sake of self-preservation, I just want him gone now. I just want him gone so that we don't have to have this conversation over and over again. And I still think he'll be good where he goes, quite likely. But I don't think he's likely to be good at Spurs. I think that yeah, things have just built up in such a negative way now. It's it's best for everyone involved to, to separate. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do we want to do? We, I mean, we got some. We got three emails um, about Ndombele yesterday. In fact, we we probably had more. I've not had a chance to check the emails today. We got masses of tweets. People want us to talk about it. Uh, let me just read out a couple of the um, the emails we got. This one is uh, from Marcus White. Marcus says, "I am admittedly a Tongi Ndombele stan. I might be missing out on the nuances of the fan base's opinion of him as an American fan, but I find myself increasingly distressed about the manner in which he is discussed." An inaccurate narrative is that he couldn't make it under five managers when he was a regular by the time Poch, Mourinho and Nuno were all sacked. That's taken hold and it feels like there's little consideration given to his adaptation to a new country in the middle of a global pandemic, let alone during a time of such upheaval at the club. I understand the frustration with the club record signing and I even understand the anger at him slow walking off the pitch against Morecambe, but I also can't help but feel he's subject to a level of scrutiny and vitriol that other club record signings haven't been. I feel similarly about the narratives around Delhi's perceived laziness and can't help but become sad at how the conversations around both players, knowingly or not, are shaped by race. Am I misreading things or missing something entirely? Why do discussions about both players feel so poisonous? And Ben Bernstein wrote... I have been a Tongi true believer for most of his time at Spurs and have been generally supportive of the Nathan and Windy give Tongi the benefit of a doubt no matter what he does position. He's A, that talented, and B, Jose did not seem to use him well. But it does seem, as much as I wish it wasn't true, that we were wrong. He actually does have a bad attitude. The slow walk off the pitch is the latest in several years of uninspiring and sometimes odd behaviour. For example, asking to leave every window and inconsistent fitness levels, etc. from a player who I've wanted to love so much. I'm doing some introspection about why it has been so hard for me to come to the position that Bardi and other old school supporters have had on Tongi for years now, which is that he actually has a rotten mentality and it has negatively impacted his play in our team. The Bardis were right and the Nathan and Windies, self-included, were wrong. Why did it take us so long to come around? Are we part of a toxic cycle where we can't help, can't stop returning to our partner no matter how often he disappoints and rejects us? Sorry for the strange metaphor. I'm a psychologist. Uh, we got another email from Jake S. from Canada as well. Thank you, Jake, for your thoughts. Um... Any 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 ideas like off the back of those emails? Anything you'd like to add to the discussion? I mean, I don't think I've ever questioned out his his rotten mentality, and I'm I'm a bit wary about Bardi's uh, being that, that kind of people. I <laughs> I have I have questioned his suitability for the team in terms of his skill set. I think he's a gifted player. I've said that many times. He's an incredibly wonderful player, but that doesn't mean he's incredibly suited to Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League. There are 
thousands of players have come to the Premier League and not done it. This is Forlan. You remember Forlan went to United and he was awful. He couldn't do anything. Went to La Liga, the pace, the game, everything else. And he becomes one of the greatest strikers for a time in the world who did great things, including at a World Cup. There's the PK was at Man United. He couldn't win a header. He couldn't do anything. Goes to Barcelona. All of a sudden, he becomes a fantastic centre-back. And there's defenders and forwards that have come from other countries to here. It doesn't work. There's no science to a transfer working out. There's so many variables. We're talking about human beings who have so many different things that could be impacted by a change mm-hmm. of culture and a change of country that it doesn't work. And it's this not because of his rotten mentality. It's because things haven't worked out the way it should have. Had he joined when the team was more settled, the club were more settled, then it probably would have worked. But it didn't. And that's not because of his mentality. I, it's just timing. I completely agree. And I, I think... Um... I, I think it comes down to how you tap into different players' motivations. And the problem is when everything's going okay and you know you haven't got fires to put out left, right and centre, you can spend a little more time as a coach trying to tap into individual players' motivations and unlocking them. But we have been firefighting for so long that no coach mm. has really had the time or the need to, to really get hold of Ndombele and, and tap into what makes him tick. Uh, it just hasn't been a priority and that's been a problem. That's been a problem for him. It's been a problem for us. It's been a, it's led to a significant waste of money ultimately. I mean, when you're, when you're Man City, you can sign Cancelo and give him a year to settle in without having to put him in the first team. You can sign Grealish for a hundred million pounds and not have him, not have the need for him to play immediately. We signed Endombele and it was an emergency. You need to come in now and change this football club. And he was unable to do that. And that's, that's us. That's not him. Mm-hmm. I agree that that is kind of the situation at Spurs, but at the same time, it's it's the opposite of what Pochino said, right? Pochino really wanted Ndombele. He actively pursued him. He was his number one target. And when he arrived, he said he might take a year to, mm-hmm. to get him up to where we want him to be. And obviously, he never got that year. Mm-hmm. That, that year will never exist. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and I, I still think that, you know, had he come in, like I said earlier, if he comes in at the same time as Conte and has time to settle in, or if he came in earlier mm. in Pochettino's reign, or things were just better in some other way, I still think that we could have had a really good time with him. But I also, like, at this stage, I don't I, I don't want to rule out the possibility that he has a, a what was it, a rotten mentality or, or whatever the, the phrase was, you know? So I, I yeah, I just, I, I give up. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I just don't like to comment on that kind of stuff when we don't know the details of what goes on behind the scenes and um, and how things pan out. Um, the only other thing I would say, because I just have this tendency to sort of feel compassionate towards people in, in these sort of underdog situations, and I hate to see... I don't know what it feels like to be booed by 60,000 people, sure. but I do know what it feels like to be like booed by 50,000 Twitter followers, and <laughs> it feels horrible. It feels absolutely fucking horrible. So my inclination would not be to boo a player. Like I don't like booing the team, but I can certainly see why booing the team is 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 like okay you know whatever mm. being an individual player feels feels like a step too far for me it really feels like a step too far I, I just it didn't sit comfortably with me at all but i completely got it once he once he was slow walking yeah absolutely uh, that's gonna happen and he just needed to get off that pitch but i do still feel sad for him sorry for him frankly because that's how <laughs> i'm just wired that way that i will feel sorry for him it reminds me of the um Hossam Ghali situation where mm-hmm. um, it was Martin Yol, I think he subbed mm-hmm. he subbed Hossam Ghali who'd who'd already come on as a sub. He was in a position where he had to make a, a sacrifice, and in my opinion, he made the wrong change. I didn't think Ghali should have come off, but he did, and Ghali was really upset about it, and he was, he lost teeth for the team <laughs> weeks before. Uh, and as he came off the pitch, he threw his shirt down at Martin Yol's. Um, feet and sort of clapped his hands together as if to say that's it I'm done with you I'm done with this and he walked off down the tunnel and he got booed for that and my inclination at the time against the vast majority of Spurs fans was to feel bad for Garley because I felt like he shouldn't have been I thought he was mistreated uh, in that moment even though I could completely understand that that is a completely unacceptable response to what happened I, I think there's there's room for some nuance I think you can sort of be annoyed at the person and yet also feel sorry for them We've done it to death, haven't we? I mean, let's be honest, until we, we might never need to talk about the Ndombele discourse again. It might not matter anymore. He might get sold and uh, it might never need to come round again. So that, that might be our final say on the matter. What's going to happen to Discord then? It's got to be really quiet. It'll be a much better place, frankly. There was um, 
this morning, about four o'clock, my, my dog threw up and she threw up right near my head. And I don't know if you ever heard a dog throw up. It's grim, isn't it? Near you. Oh, it's awful. I, I, I thought I thought there was monsters coming in to get me. <laughs> and uh, I, obviously I had to rush her outside. She was fine. And then I had to try and get back to bed. And I just had this, and I don't know where, I don't know if this happens to you. When you wake up unexpectedly and you look at the clock and it's like, it's too early to get up properly. So I'm going to try and get back to sleep. And I tried to get back to sleep and I had this weird thing pop into my head of, of porridge and Antonio Conte making porridge, like big 10 litre vats of porridge. And it, it came to my mind that Antonio Conte at, at Spurs is making porridge. And this could be porridge that works even in, in, in a prison because porridge is sticky, it's hot, it's not great. Or it could be like real hipster porridge. And yesterday, when we, when we made the substitutions and we put on Kane and Lucas and Skip, it was just like we've taken something which is not very good and very sticky and hot. And then all of a sudden, we've just put the proper toppings on it. And Kane is a bit of peanut butter and Skip some pumpkin seeds and um, Lucas is some maple syrup and stuff. And that's what we have at Tottenham at this moment. And I needed to say this because all I've had in my mind all day is porridge. But Tottenham Hotspur is this big lump of steaming porridge and it's not very good. But we have fantastic players who can change it and make it worth like £8 a bowl. And that's all I've got to say on Morecambe and our toppings. <laughs> when I saw... That was lovely stuff, Bardi. When I, when I saw Lucas come off the bench, my first thought was, I Don't feel very up. sorry for those Morecambe defenders right now. Like... Yeah. Lucas always turns up against um, lower league opposition because they find him impossible to defend against because he's got absolutely absurd acceleration um, and close control in those situations. Uh, plus, they were knackered by that point. Morecambe mm. looks like they had had it in the second half. Um, so, I mean, I didn't ever doubt that we would win, to be honest. But when, no. when Lucas and Kane came on, I was like, yeah, we, we got this. It's, it's all good. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it didn't take long, did it, for the turnaround to happen? Um Kane's goal was not getting the kind of credit it deserves. It was nice a goal. wonderful finish. It was nicely like played from the Chelsea as well in the lead up to it. Nice Emerson, pass. Yep. Emerson, yep. good, good little bit of yeah. hustle. Lacelso pass. Lacelso doesn't get many assists, so there's one for him. And um, a lovely little um, chip finish. It, it was like a, a, a professional golfer just kind of chipping it onto the green. It was a <laughs> beautiful goal because even did you see one of the best things about a goal being scored is when the ball goes in and it goes up and it hits yeah. the roof of the net and somehow with very little power he put the spin on it that it managed to do that fantastic goal anything else we want to say about the Morecambe match <laughs> no no I, <laughs> I, I would like to move on from yeah Morecambe I mean match. I suppose yeah. the other thing to say is tactically Morecambe essentially played like Watford and we had similar issues yeah um, to, to how what we did against Watford and, and 10 I, men Southampton yeah and in some ways it's not the worst thing for us to have to sort of practice practice finding solutions to these quite tricky problems. Um, but it does show that we do find that shape difficult to play against. You know, you, if you sort of imagine that they are a, a square or a pentagon in the middle of the pitch and we're working our way around it constantly rather than being able to play through it, um, it's not great. And it does rely heavily on... Oh, and we haven't spoken about the inverted wingbacks. I was going to say it, it, it relies heavily on the wingbacks. And what did Conte do in the second half? He switched the wingbacks. He switched... He switched Sessegnon and Doherty. So Doherty's on the left, Sessegnon's on the right. Um, and that was an interesting move. I won't I won't spoil Nathan's next video project because I, I think there's a lot to say about this and it's interesting stuff. So we'll wait for that. Two final points on Morecambe, then, then we can leave it forever. But I shout out to Winx's free kick and his celebration. He did and, not mean that. Oh, he, well, what he did I think is he, he did. No, he, he did in, not mean that. He whipped it into an area of difficulty, which is something that we don't do very often. Yeah, Sun did it against fair. Watford. That's fair. He put it in a good place. And then shout out to Obika for, for getting a little cameo. That was one nice. of yours, when He was one of yours, Windy. Yeah, really, really nice to see the picture of him and Ryan Mason, who mm. formed a fantastic partnership for our under-18s back in the day. Mason as number 10, Abika as the front man. They were brilliant together. They absolutely tore it up under-18 level. And Abika, who I met when he was 17, um, very nice young man. Yep. Very, very nice young man. Yeah. Pleased to see him come on. Uh, let's let's touch on Chelsea. I don't really want to spend too much time talking I don't really want to spend too much time talking about it because it was such a horrific watch. Um, 
So normally we talk about the team news first, Wendy, and uh, the three of us, and I think after the fact as well, uh, the three of us were privy to the facts that Eric Dyer would be missing this game. Yes. And it was at that point, two days before the match, I knew that we would lose it. So I sort of went into this one quite at peace with what I believe would be... Uh, you know, a very, very likely defeat. And to, to, you know, considering how poorly we played for the first half, at least, to come away 2-0 down with a second leg to play isn't that mm. terrible. thought you were prepared really well for mm. um, not just, like, um, Conte generally, um, relating again to the video did about how to beat Conte and the specifics of that. Um, but also that was dramatically exaggerated by Davinson being left as the spare man after the fact. Um, the switch to the forty-three-one was was good and smart, but obviously wasn't going to be enough to you know turn the game back around. Do you mean our switch to the forty-three-one? Yeah, yes, sorry. So we matched up to their system. They played a forty-three-one that sort of became a three-four-three. Yes, um, which was interesting. Um, yeah, I did think that. I'd, I'd, I've never seen Tuchel play that way before for Chelsea, so I, I thought that was fascinating that he opted for a sort of defensive forty-three-one that became a three-four-three in attack. Um, yeah. Yeah, really I mean, intriguing. Chelsea, Chelsea had the players who the tactical skill set to be able to switch that. And the the moment they had a free in midfield and Jorginho was a spare man, we were always going to struggle to get the ball. And we were we weren't helped by a back three that couldn't pass out. Terrible. Like Nathan says, like Nathan says, you know, I'm I'm at peace with this result in a strange way that they're they're very good, Chelsea, and we were really bad. And to only come away with a two nil is almost like a result. I'm hoping we can turn it around, but I'm very doubtful that we can. But at least we still have something to play for. We it could have been over really, really fast. And next week's game, well, this week's game could have been worth nothing. It is kind of weird to think that as bad as we were in that game and as completely outplayed as we were, basically the two goals came from our own making. Tanganga being absolutely horrendous in two moments. Um, it, we could have got away the nil-nil even if we'd just not made stupid mistakes like that, which is crazy to think given how the, the flow of the game went. Um, and yeah, I, I was feeling the same. I felt sort of, you know, two nils. I felt quite good about that. We can turn that round. We're fine. And then, and then we heard about Son and all my optimism was gone. I'd, I can sort of Maybe see us winning 1-0, but without Son, I don't know. I don't know if we've got enough to, to score two against Chelsea. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Um, got a few questions. So let's start off with this from uh, Petter. This was, uh, <laughs> this was asked um, before the Morgan game, I think. What do you think is the best solution to Spurs' creativity issues? A, drill patterns and relations in Conte's system, or B, buy a creative player, brackets, or let Ndombele play? Hmm. You can you can exclude the brackets <laughs> for this one. Um, well, both. I think that we are like even in a very short period of time getting towards the sort of um, ceiling of the patterns that mm. we can use with the players we are using. Um, which is not to say there isn't room for improvement there, but I think I think. I think we need personnel to to go up a level, basically. Um, and I and, and before that, like I don't think that we have um, significant creativity issues, right? Under Nuno, under Mourinho, with similar squads, we had significant creativity issues. I think our patterns have done a lot for us. Mm-hmm. I think being in a situation where like we have a hard time against the extremely parked bus of Southampton, Watford, and Morecambe. Like every team in the world struggles to an extent with with eleven players in the box, you know. Um, teams are so threatened by our existing creativity as we play through the through our through our lines that they are resorting to that that tactic. Um, so I think that we can improve our creativity and personnel. We can get a a more dynamic attacking right back. We can we can rest one of Skip and Hoivier and bring in uh, someone who's maybe more of a ball carrier or a creative passer. We can switch to a 3-5-2, move Sun to up top. I mean, it's, I'm about to say drop Lucas, but maybe that's a controversial <laughs> position to take and, and trade in for, for a more creative player. However you want to achieve it, yes, I think that... I think that um, personnel is the way to improve our creativity at the moment um but i i think it's good i think the baseline of our creativity is is good we should aspire to great and we can aspire to great because we have a great manager um and we can afford with good scouting great players 
Yeah, I think Nathan makes really good points there. I think um, Conte's system and the way he's drilled our place has got us to a point. Um, like many people at university, I, I bought myself a guitar because I thought that would be that would be cool and I could impress people. And um, I also got a chord book, which I, I thought would be cool and impress people. But, you know, it was an Oasis chord book. And I managed to read the, it would show you literally where your fingers had to be and how fast you had to strum it. And I could play Wonderwall. And I, I'm, I'm a musical idiot, but I could play Wonderwall. And that's kind of where we are with Tottenham at the moment. By following these simple patterns and repetitions, we've been able to create a song, a music, which has got us to a certain level. But we'll never... <laughs> a football and music but will never get us to the creative place we need to be to actually go and win things and the only way we can do that is by learning how to read music and and buying creative players that can, that can read music properly and can compose and do stuff Conte is fantastic and where he's got us now next step is those plans with people who can also perhaps tinker it a little bit yeah I mean I think I like the analogy I think we've, we've kind of he, he's got the woodwind on point he's got the percussion doing their thing he's got <laughs> He's got, you know, there's a, there's a solid bass drum there. There's mm. some timpanis even, but we still haven't got the trump. We, some timpanis, you know, the... Um, What's that? Like those big, big drum, lovely sounding drums with like um, soft sticks. And oh, they yeah, make this yeah, kind yeah. of booming, but very soothing sound. They're, mm. they're fantastic in an orchestra. Um, but what he's lacking is the trumpet solo or the sax solo. You know, you need to, you need that bit of that bit of freestyle over the top to, um, to, re- to really enjoy it. Is- He's just shaking his head at us two talking about music. You, the flute was right there, Wendy. <laughs> you, you, you like a flute solo? <laughs> it's 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 more of a. I just feel it's more befitting of the the analogy, but don't worry about it, buddy. If you can play Wonderwall, then you've got four chords, and if you can learn three more chords, then you've got a lot, and you can make a lot of different combinations for a lot of different songs. But don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> could probably play the whole Beatles backtrack if I could play Wonderwall. <laughs> Nearly. <laughs> I, I do agree with the point that um, uh, as a sort of base, our creativity is not a huge problem. In the, in the majority of games, what we've got at the moment is going to be enough to get us the win, I think. I think um, we're a little bit down on things because of the grind it was against Southampton and then Watford. But overall, I definitely think tr- things are massively trending in the right direction and we need to remember that. Um, I do also think, like, I know it sounds really stupid, but things like having Sesame on fit will be really helpful because it means we can make that sub on 70 minutes and and have some fresh legs on on the left and if we can get in a right back to to challenge right wing back to challenge Emerson then all the better as well that would be that would be lovely um i i also think having Lucelso back fit is going to be incredibly useful as i said i think he his corners looked really promising against Morecambe and if we can score a couple of set set piece goals that you know, we used to talk about Mourinho manipulating the score. That changes the dynamic of the game. And if a team has to come out against you, then Conte's gonna Conte's system will absolutely thrive in those circumstances. It's 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 clearly struggling at the moment against set defenses. But if they're not set, then I would expect um, things to go our way a lot more often. So, you know, the odd set piece goal here and there would be very helpful in a, in what is a very challenging next four matches for us against. Chelsea twice, Arsenal and Leicester. This one is from Peter Strom, who says, I have a question for the pod about Emerson Royale and the speculation about a new right wing back. Is he really that bad or does it come because we don't really have backups to be trusted in Doherty and Tanganga? And this ties in nicely, I think, with the the rumours linking us with the Dharma Traore and the suggestion that it would be to play at right wing back. Obviously, Nathan's done a piece of detailed analysis on this um, and... That is on our, our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. Um, I am absolutely not in favour of signing Adama Traore and, and making him into a right wing back, but it could be worse. <laughs> I'd rather just sign a good right wing back. Bardi, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm like you. I'd rather sign Lamptey at right wing back. But if Adama's there for 20 million, I, 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 just, I just think it kind of almost makes no sense, but it does make a little bit of sense. <laughs> And there's part of me that would kind of be really curious to see it, would like to rubber neck it. Let's see where I am with that. One thing that I didn't say in the Adama video is um, a lot of people make the comparison <clears throat> between Adama and Lucas, right? And I've said before about Lucas, every manager comes in and they see this player with really impressive technical and athletic abilities. And they think if I could just coach them and direct them uh, and make some of his decisions for him, then he could be a really good player and 
Pochettino failed and Mourinho failed and Nuno failed, although he sort of started to do okay with Lucas, but then he stopped getting the ball. Each of them saw Lucas's abilities and 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 tried to maximise them. They all failed. And Conte is successfully maximising Lucas's abilities. So if there is someone who can look at Adama's raw talents, raw, raw talents and insane talents that they are, athletic and technical, and maximise those, then, then I guess Conte is the man. I don't know. There is, there is as much as, as much as my takeaway from the video was, let's just get a, a real recognised existing right wing back that won't give us great defensive worries or build up problems who will just bring their own good contributions to the final third. There is still a little bit of excitement around the big gamble of trying to sign his arbitrary and playing him a right wing back. And the question said, um, is, is, sorry, is Royale really that bad? He's not really that bad. He's not bad. He's just not really good, right? Uh, Royale is good defensively. He's good defensively up and down the pitch. He's good in build up. He's sort of a safe passer and his delivery into the box is sort of okay. That for me makes him a really good second choice right back. Mm -hmm. And we have needed two for quite a while. I mean, really forever, you know? So if we can make Royale a really good second choice right back who's going to play cup games, who's going to be subbed on at 70 minutes um, behind an even better uh, right wing back who is really good in the final third, I think we're in a really good place there. Um, I definitely don't think Royale has a bad play by any means. And then again, as we all always talk about in terms of squad building under Conte, if he's not here in 18 months' time, Royale is going to be a good player after the fact as well, because most managers aren't hugely reliant on outstanding wing backs to unlock a a, a box with twenty players in it. When um when we last spoke about Emerson Royale, you mentioned Harry Brooks and what he would like to do with Royale, and, oh, yeah. and Harry sort of agreed that it would be really hard for him to significantly improve um, from where he is at the moment. And I've been sort of reflecting on that a little bit because in, in, when we did the pod with Nima, I was quite down on our wingbacks and said that I've got some concerns that Regulon and Emerson Royale won't be great fits for the Conte system because of their because their strengths don't marry with what I saw as strengths in a Conte system. But we do know that Conte has got form for really improving fullbacks, and we have seen at Spurs a manager come in and absolutely transform the futures, the fortunes of our fullback. So I'm not completely giving up on um, the idea of, of both Regalon and Emerson Royale improving significantly under Conte as time goes on. I, I think that's a reasonable thing to keep in mind. But even if Emerson Royale doesn't improve at all, even if he just stays exactly as he is now forever and ever and ever, he's still a very good player. I don't think there's any concerns for me that we've kind of overpaid for Royale, that he's a bad signing. I think he's a really reliable squad player um, and I've got no problems with being, him being in the squad and playing a lot of games. Uh, I really don't think that's where we need to sort of direct our ire at the moment. Although clearly if you could get someone in like Lamptey who's genuinely has the potential to be elite and transformational for any team, then you, you get them. The concern obviously with Lamptey is his injuries over the past year, but that's another matter. But yeah, I mean, I, I do like Royale very much. I think he's a good player. I wanted to finish by just giving a mention to the um, the podcast that Eric Dyer did with Jake Humphrey and Damien Hughes. It's called uh, The Benefits of Stepping Outside Your Comfort Zone, the High Performance Podcast. Uh, so this is this was a, a, a podcast that Dyer did about kind of his, his history and what it takes in terms of the sort of mentality to make it as a professional footballer. And I would say the podcast isn't for me generally as I've listened to a couple of episodes and I've, there's a lot of, um, it's Jake Humphrey is quite a spiritual person, interestingly. And there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't flip my boat, but listening to Eric Dyer talk was an absolute pleasure. He is, uh, he's an, a highly intelligent, interesting person who's had a quite unusual journey. So he, he moved to Portugal when he was quite young uh, he essentially grew up Portuguese in Portuguese schools. All his friends are Portuguese. He was playing for sporting in their academy and it was very regimented and that, uh, it, it was, it was a real challenge to him. And then they restructured the age groups and he ended up moving to 
Everton because he wasn't at that point being challenged because essentially he was not playing up a year anymore and it, it didn't work out for him. So he moved to Everton. He was essentially a Portuguese player moving to Everton and he found it really, really difficult to settle. Um, but he speaks really well about overcoming that challenge and the experience of moving to Portugal at a young age and sort of adapting to that new culture came in handy again when he then moved to Everton and obviously then to Spurs later as well. And it was so fascinating to hear hear about his journey. He also ref- references the um, the universal energy thing, the Pochettino thing okay. that, 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 is, that is oft spoken of. Um, and the way he described it, which I thought was a much more sort of tangible way of of thinking about it was the flow state so he felt like um when Poch was talking about universal energy he's talking about players being able to do things in flow state rather than having to be conscious of what they're doing so just sort of muscle memory and that kind of thing taking over I guess uh and what he said was he feels like when there's when a game's emotional when a game feels particularly emotional something happens in the game that makes it emotional he feels like he's in it more and he becomes dire in the flow state, which I thought was really, really fascinating. Um, it's, it's a great podcast. You should definitely, definitely, definitely listen. He speaks very highly of Pochettino and Conte uh, and doesn't mention the other managers much, which I think is very telling as well. Um, he likes he likes clarity from his manager on, on what they want. He likes clear instructions. And the reason he says that is a good thing is because it means that players can call one another out knowing that they're right. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, I know sure. what the manager wants me to do, so therefore I can tell you when you're not doing it. Whereas he kind of implied that when it's left up to players to work things out for themselves, there can be real confusion and people are calling people out for the wrong things. Really, really fascinating. Oh, one final thing. When Pochettino was sacked, Eric Dyer went to his house and spent three or four hours there uh, when he found out that he was leaving. And I thought that was a really interesting piece of information. Yeah, he's a great guy. He speaks a lot about how players are judged. um, And yet we don't know as fans who they are, what they're like, what they're going through. And yeah, that's quite pertinent. This week, of all weeks, as Spurs fans too. Really fascinating stuff. I have so much time for Eric Dyer. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, E. Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.